Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this uh, uh, to us, and we're going to look at, at it today. But uh, then we, after we read the Scripture, we will pray together. And I, I want to note that uh, uh, our president has called for this to be uh, a national day of prayer for those who are victims of the hurricane. Uh, these are, are some of uh, the words, uh, those victims, including people who have lost family members or been injured, those who have lost homes or other property, and our first responders, law enforcement officers, military personnel, and medical professionals leading the response and the recovery efforts. Uh, this is a good thing for us to do as a church, and I encourage you uh, not just to pray while we are here, but to uh, uh, remember them throughout today, but also for, for the months to come. When you see uh, a report on the news, I encourage you to not just uh, shake your head about how horrible it is, but to, to pray for people you are seeing and uh, people who have lost much. Uh, we know just a taste of that, what a big thing that was here when we had our floods, and uh, yet, yet this is uh, much bigger. And so um, we will pray together. Uh, let's first read the scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with the 23rd Verse, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, as we bow before you again, we, we know that you are the God of this universe. All of nature is yours. It is not a force that is somehow independent of you. And you are the God, as your, as your word says, that, that tells the water how far it can go and when it must recede. And so, Lord, as we have seen the awesome power of that storm that no man could control we must give our praise to you, the God of the universe. And yet, Lord, do you also know 
that there have been many lives that have been devastated by this storm. There are those that have lost family members. There are those who have been injured. Those who have lost their homes, property. And Lord, we would pray for them at this moment. We pray for those who are uh, rescuers and who have put their own life on, on the line in order to help others, the first responders and law enforcement and military personnel, the medical people, the volunteers, so many who so unselfishly are seeking to help others and we pray for your protection upon them that you would help them to, to be effective. And Lord, we would ask ultimately that you would bring glory to yourself in this, that you would cause many to turn to you, that you would cause many to see that, that they need something outside of themselves if they are to survive, and that they would see their need for Christ. We look to you uh, for this, Lord, and now we would ask that you would open your word even as we continue to approach uh, your table that you have set before us. And we pray for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In church history, uh, Early Christians uh, had a number of things that they were accused of. Now, of those things, uh, some of them were uh, misunderstanding of what Christians were doing. Some were misunderstanding of the, the liturgy that uh, Christians uh, would use in their worship. Some were out-and-out out lies in order to implicate Christians, to blame them for things that, that were going on. And as we think of the various things that they were accused of, they were vindicated again and again. They weren't perfect, but they were vindicated over and over again when, when understanding came to... Uh, what they really were doing. One of the things they were accused of, though, was cannibalism. Now, the best most can figure uh, when they see that they, uh, early Christians were sometimes accused of cannibalism is that someone looked at the liturgy of the early Christians and they saw where someone would stand up and, and would say, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. This blood is the blood of the new covenant. Drink ye all of it. And so it was that misunderstanding that, that caused uh, some to accuse or to capitalize on it and make those kinds of accusations. Of course, there was no truth to it. 
And yet, Christians continued to celebrate using those words, and we continue to this day. Now, you work your way down through church history, and the reality is that there are often misunderstandings about the Lord's Supper. Between even the, the reformers that uh, were uh, seeing the need for uh, the Roman church at that time to reform, but even between them, there were disagreements, and even among evangelicals, there are disagreements. Now, the tendency when it comes to the Lord's Supper is that we don't think of those disagreements as much as we would maybe with baptism and mode of baptism and, and those kinds of things. And yet it is essential for us to be able to, to really answer that question. What, what are we doing here? What difference would it make if, if I never took communion? Would that matter to me in any way? And so what do we tell our children when they say, you know, I'm hungry too. Why can't I have some bread and some juice? Why is it just you? How do we explain? So today I want us to work our way through this passage that, that I read to you virtually every time we take communion, which is uh, typically once a month here. And I read this 1 Corinthians 11. And I'm going to give you five main principles here. There are many more things we could look at. So we want to begin with this, and that is that he, God, through Christ, gives us sensible signs. Now let me explain that. In our Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which is a question-answer thing in terms of theology. We think it's a good summary of the Scripture. In that catechism, uh, this, this question, question 92, is what is a sacrament? We believe there are, are two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And here's the answer. A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. So that's where it begins. It comes from Christ wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So what do we mean by sensible signs? Well, it doesn't mean signs that make sense. That's how we would use that term, sensible. Although they do make sense as you uh, study them and so on. What a sensible sign is, a sign that we can experience with one or more of our senses. So with baptism, we can see and feel the water. Those are, those are the senses. With the Lord's Supper, we can see, we can smell, we can taste. And so... What, what God has done is he has uh, 
acknowledge that we uh, who are spiritual beings are also physical beings, and he has seen fit to give us signs to help us understand this spiritual uh, principle in a physical way. Now, let me note as well that uh, uh, these signs, and let's think today in terms of the Lord's Supper, these signs of the sacrament and certainly the Lord's Supper are signs that can be used virtually anywhere in the world at any time. Now, that's important, and that's true for baptism as well. But with, uh, with the Lord's Supper, you go to uh, virtually any people group, and if you're desiring to uh, serve this to the Christians, there is some kind of bread, some kind of a fruit of the vine that they can take. And because it doesn't require a lot, it can be just a morsel, just a small amount like we take here. This is a sign that is universal and can be uh, in any part of the world. Now, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there are always uh, questions asked. And uh, one question that tends to get asked because uh, different churches practice this differently is uh, uh, why, why don't we use real wine? And uh, if you go to different churches, you will see all kinds of practices. Some use, uh, totally use uh, uh, fermented or, or uh, wine. And some will have an option where uh, the outward one, the ones on the outside ring are uh, non-fermented and the ones on the inside ring uh, are fermented or something like that. I was serving communion at a, a sister church one time, and uh, that's how they did it. But I was so nervous that I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> so, so I actually read what they said that you know that the because I didn't want to you know people to take seconds and all that anyway. <laughs> So, why don't we? Well, first of all, we need to understand fermentation is not, not the key to this. That's not the main point. And it's not that I'm opposed to fermented wine. I'm not at all. But in this setting, let me tell you an experience from the previous church that I served. I was doing an inquirer's class, and, and it came up about the Lord's Supper, and I just, in passing, said, uh, well, uh, yeah, we use grape juice, we, which is unfermented wine. After that class, a man came up to me privately, and he said, I'm so glad you told us that. He said, I've been coming to this church for a few months now, but anytime you had communion, I stayed home because... I was afraid it was real wine. And he said, I'm an alcoholic. And I didn't want it to just pass by, but I also didn't want to take that first drink again. Well, that's one case. 
But that to me is good enough reason for us to defer to one another here. Since, since the key is not fermentation, it is wine. And so we simply use unfermented wine here. Similar to the reason we use gluten-free bread. I don't know that Jesus had gluten-free bread. <laughs> but I think they invented gluten or whatever it is that we need to be free of more recently. And we decided we don't want the elements to be a distraction to anyone or for anyone to not be able to take. And so whether you need to be gluten-free or not, it's worth it so that we can all partake together. So that's the idea of the sensible sign. Secondly, uh, it helps us remember. The, the Lord's Supper helps, helps us remember. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <coughs> Verse 25 then, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what are we to remember? Well, we remember his death. So what was unique about his death? Well, there are many things, but, but, but let me give you two that we should always remember. Number one, to die for someone else is different than other deaths. Romans 5, verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, Someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the idea of one for another, and that takes us to the other unique thing, which is what we call in theology, vicarious substitutionary atonement. I know you got that. Vicarious substitutionary atonement. Here's what that means. Work our way back. The atonement, paying for sins. Substitutionary means one paying for another's sins and vicarious meaning one uh, who didn't deserve it being in, in their place. So, it is Jesus who has provided for us. He went to the place He didn't deserve to go and that's the cross. He died a death that he didn't deserve to die, and he did it in our place. That's the gospel, and that's what we are to remember here. Why could he? Well, because he didn't deserve it. That's why he could die for those who trust in him for salvation. So, during the passing of the elements, we often read from Isaiah 53. We will today. And here's what it says. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That is the substitutionary atonement. And so, during this time, we remember. That should cause rejoicing. This is not just a memorial service. It's not a sad occasion in that, in that way. Yes, we remember this horrible death, but what we, we ought to 
quickly, our minds should quickly go to, that's the death that we don't have to die because he died for us. And so we should rejoice at this table. Thirdly, by this, by this table, we proclaim, verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a proclamation of the gospel itself. Not just remembering the death, but proclaiming what his death means. His death paid for our sins, and in Christ we are redeemed and we are reconciled to God. So here's what we proclaim to one another, and here's, here's how you need to apply it to your own life. Some of you have had horrible weeks. You got bad news or you experienced something difficult. Some of you had great weeks. You got good news. You're rejoicing. Some of you are dreading something that is coming up. But for those who are trusting in Christ alone, no matter what is going on in your life, if you're trusting Him alone for your salvation, there is peace with God. And so that's what we proclaim to one another. We proclaim it from this pulpit, but the other way we proclaim it is when you take these trays and you pass it to the person next to you and you receive that from another, we are proclaiming that to one another. He gave his body for me and for you. He shed his blood for me and for you. And so we proclaim this to one another and to all who are here. That's one of the reasons why we don't believe in our denomination in uh, what some would call private communion. It's why when I read my Bible in the morning, I don't also serve myself communion because it's something we do as a body. And so we don't, at a wedding, we don't um, just serve the, uh, the bride and groom. In fact, we don't serve it at weddings. But we're not going to just serve the bride and groom. If you had this done at your wedding, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, throwing you under the bus or anything like that. But our view is it's not a spectator sport. It is that which we all participate in. And when we do it together, that is a truer proclamation of the gospel. It is something we do as a body of Christ. Fourthly, it should give us an anticipation, verse 26, till he comes. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So again, it's not just a memorial service for uh, someone who died. It's pointing to the one who died, but who has risen and who is coming back. And so this table reminds us of that, and it reminds us that there will come a time when this table will be obsolete because we will be sitting 
at the wedding supper of the Lamb with Jesus himself. And so we won't be doing this. But until that time, this should cause us to look forward to that, to anticipate that he's coming back. And that, you know, I I, I don't know what's going to be served there, but I'm guessing it's not Welch's grape juice and gluten-free bread. I'm just saying. Those won't be issues. And so we have that to look forward to. And then fifthly, we tend to look deeper at our own spiritual life at this table. And that's where preparation and examination comes in. There is that warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that's where repentance comes in. Uh, Repentance is, uh, here is our sin over here, and, and we perhaps come even come into church bringing our sin with us, maybe even loving our sin, not wanting to give it up, and and there it is. And so our face is toward that sin, but repentance is turning our back on that, but not just replacing it with something else. It's replacing it with Christ, turning our face toward him and our back on that sin. So that's the idea of repentance at this table. And I have to say, and this isn't the way it should be, but at least in my own experience, I look deeper. I look deeper at my own life when I'm coming here because of this warning. And so I think many of us do. We, We look at those things that we might be able to ignore until we hear a warning like this, until we hear this caution that we, we really must turn and go toward the Lord and be filled with Him. So here's the question as that we've got to deal with. Who then is worthy to take communion? If it says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself... Sometimes we talk about a worthy manner. It's a serious warning, but the purpose is not to keep true believers away from this table. Unless you're a believer and you're in rebellion. Those are the only ones where the Lord Jesus graciously warned against that. Or for those that don't know Christ, don't discern the body, don't know him, aren't trusting in him alone. Look, if that's you, I'm, I'm delighted that you're here with us. But um, if you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, then just pass the elements. Nobody will look down on you for that. But Paul is saying, that's not something to mess with. Don't play games with this table because he knows our hearts. He already knows. 
So don't worry about trying to fool other people because the, you're not going to fool the searcher of our hearts. So for the question who should take communion, let's just stipulate this. No one is worthy in and of themselves. None of us. You cannot be good enough by your own works to be invited to this table any more than you can be good enough to be invited into heaven because of your own good works. So we, we stipulate that. That's the gospel there. So we are not worthy, and so how can we then be invited if we are coming in the name of Christ, trusting in Him alone? Because He is worthy. And so, with Christ in us, remember union with Christ, with Christ in us, we can approach this table. So let's get real specific. Does this mean you can't, cannot take communion if you have sinned? The answer is no. Otherwise, no one would ever take communion. Let me describe the person who should not take. If you are sinning, here's your sin over here, and you're unwilling to turn from it, but instead you say, I'm not giving that up. What you in essence are saying is, I love that more than I love Christ. And so, the, the right thing to do is to say, but I want to commune with him, and so I will turn from that and repent. But if you're unwilling to do that, it's better to, to pass, pass the, the plate and don't take, lest you cause more condemnation on yourself. But then don't just leave it there. Deal with it before the next communion. If, however, you can sincerely repent of your sin, do so, then eat and drink and, and be strengthened and then continue to repent. It doesn't mean that, that you've conquered everything if you repent one time. We should live a life of repentance. You may ask the question, well, what if I'm a, a believer and I don't have a particular sin that I'm, I'm, I'm unwilling to give up, but I struggle with doubts or my faith is weak, but I really do trust in Christ for my eternal life, but I have, I have these doubts. Well, you need to run to this table. John Calvin said this, basically. He said to, to say, I'm not going to take of this table because I have doubts or because my faith is weak is like a, a sick person saying, I'm not going to take medicine because I'm sick. You see, it doesn't make sense. When you're sick, you need that medicine. If you have doubts, if your faith needs to be strengthened, you need this table. And so, you are invited. So friends, if you are in Christ, come to the table. Don't let the evil one cause you to hesitate. Look deeply at your sin, but as you do, look even more deeply at Christ. 
Robert Murray McShane said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Learn much of the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself, take ten look, looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. You see what he's saying? Don't just become introspective, but look deeply, but then look even more deeply at Christ himself. Live much, he said, in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. And so, coming to the table, we who are in Christ may rejoice.